You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture and all things related to it. New episodes are released daily. For more information, check out glossahouse.com and subscribe to our channels on Spotify and YouTube. Welcome and enjoy. The Bible is authoritative, and it is inherently or intrinsically authoritative. Hello and welcome to Proof Text. I'm Michael Halcom, and in today's episode, a fallacy of the week episode, I want to take a look at a rather fascinating clash of perspectives the belief that certain things possess inherent or intrinsic authority versus the theory of social constructivism, which posits that authority is solely assigned by humans. We'll tackle this debate by examining various views today, including um, those of the prominent theologian Karl Barth. Um, And we're going to talk about the Bible's inherent or intrinsic authority and discuss, discuss other examples of inherent or intrinsic authority beyond human consensus. But to start, I want to share a video that one of our Proof Text listeners sent me and asked me to respond to. It's a, vi- it's a video by liberal Mormon Daniel McClellan, who in recent years has tried to become well-known across the internet by being a provocateur with regard to the Bible. He's often saying things that he thinks will frustrate evangelicals. He's kind of made his thing uh, trolling evangelicals. and. Um, saying things that will appeal to those who call themselves ex-evangelicals, and that's sort of his whole shtick. Personally, I I don't follow his stuff because I I find it to be big on being provocative and small on solid content. But again, someone sent me this video. Uh, that we're going to watch and respond to. It's about a minute long. And so we're going to watch this, and then I'm going to explain to you what's actually going on. So if you're watching, you should be able to see it here on the screen in just a moment. And if you're just listening, hopefully you'll be able to hear it. But here we go. It begins by saying the Bible has absolutely no authority. All right, let's listen to that one more time. (laughs) That's how he starts the post. Uh, Let's go. Hey, everybody. I'm Dan McClellan. I'm a scholar of the Bible and religion. And the only authority the Bible can ever possibly have is whatever authority groups of people agree to. So he says the only authority that the Bible can ever have is the authority that groups of people agree to assign to it. Remember that and then to honor, and then they will usually impose the threat of certain consequences should members of the in-group fail to So what he's doing is talking social science and social psychology here. More on that in just a minute. It's kind of like monetary value. It's actually not like monetary value at all, so this is a skewed and flawed analogy that it gives, but let's just hear him out. There is no inherent value to gold or two pieces of paper with pictures and words stamped on them. That value is just a question of agreement. This is just an example of money. There are other better examples he could have given, but he gives one that, of course, lends itself to his argument. Um, And we'll talk about some of those uh, better examples here in just a bit. Between people. 
It's the exact same. No, thing it isn't the exact same thing. He just gave an analogy um, and analogies typically aren't equal. So no, it isn't the exact same thing. This is a fallacy of overstating his case. So let's keep listening. There is no such thing as metaphysical authority that inhabits any single syllable or page of the Bible. That's his theology, but there are other perspectives. Get together and agree that they're going to honor a specific kind of authority associated with the Bible. And then again, they generally assign certain consequences should members of the end. He basically just repeated himself, said the same thing twice in this post. But the Bible has He's wrong. The Bible does have authority. And um, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about what's going on here with what he's saying. Um, so what's, what's happening is that Dan is telling us, without telling us, that he subscribes to a theory known as social constructivism. Social constructivism is what it's called. So we're going to dig a little bit um, deeper into this theory of social constructivism. It's a philosophical perspective that asserts that um, many uh, aspects of our reality, including authority and meaning, are constructed by human consensus. That's what he's saying. By human consensus, social interaction, and cultural forces or cultural context. According to the theory of social constructivism, authority doesn't exist independently but it's assigned, as Dan says, by people. That's what social constructivism is. It's an idea that has gained traction uh, in various academic fields, including sociology, anthropology, psychology, and philosophy. Social constructivism was developed in large part uh, by a post-revolutionary Soviet or Russian psychologist named Lev Vygotsky. And uh, this theory, it became very prominent in the U.S. when Peter Berger and Thomas Luckman published their 1966 book, um, The Social Construction of Reality. And so what we know is that this is actually, social constructivism is really actually a, a young, rather novel theory, uh, very nascent and something that many liberal types have really grasped onto in an attempt to undermine authority structures. And so the core assertion of social constructivism is that authority, meaning, and knowledge are all products or byproducts of human construction. And it suggests that everything from our social norms to our belief system is shaped by our interactions and agreements as a society. And that's what he was saying. It's what people agree on. Now, he didn't tell you what, the, what theory he was subscribing to, but uh, I, I want to dive a little bit more into some of this. And I also want to take a moment to explore some of the origins of, of constructivism, social constructivism, because this philosophical framework has, in addition to some of the names that I've already mentioned, also been shaped by other influential thinkers like Jean Piaget, who probably a lot of you have, have heard, or George Herbert Mead, and others who have contributed to our understanding or their understanding of a understand understanding of how humans might construct meaning and authority through social interaction and cultural context. Um, Piaget, for example, he was this uh, Swiss psychologist, and he, uh, he played a pivotal role in the development of social constructivist ideas, particularly in the field of um, cognitive development. And by the way, if you want to get a really good overview of uh, Piaget's work, Jordan Peterson has several lectures available about him and about that that I'd highly recommend to you. Very, very interesting stuff. But 
Now, Piaget's work focused on how children acquire knowledge and understanding of the world around them. And he proposed that individuals actively construct their own knowledge through interaction with their environment. In Piaget's theories, what, what they do is they, they highlight the role of social interactions, of, of language and cultural influences in shaping a child's cognitive development. And while his primary focus was on child development, Piaget's ideas laid the foundation for broader discussions about how humans construct reality and meaning. Another influential in the realm of social constructivism is a guy named George Herbert Mead. He was an American philosopher and sociologist, and his work centered on the development of self-consciousness and identity within a social context. So he introduced this concept of the self as a product of social interactions um, and the emphasis of the role of language and symbols and communication in shaping individual and collective identities. And so Mead's ideas, right, they highlighted or underscored the significance of society and culture in the formation of human identity. So it was challenging the notion of inherent or intrinsic or fixed characteristics. All right, so we got that in mind. We'll start to return now to the heart of our discussion, social constructivism versus inherent or intrinsic authority. And so this is, it's complex terrain. I don't want to downplay that. But we, we really got to keep in mind the contributions of, of thinkers like Piaget and Mead and Luckman and uh, Berger and others who've tried to tried to shed light on how, um, how they think humans construct meaning and how humans assign authority through social interaction and context. But it's worth asking, I think, what happens when we apply social constructivism to something that's been regarded as inherently or set social constructivism against something that's been regarded as inherently or intrinsically authoritative for centuries. Because intrinsic authority refers to the idea that uh, something or someone possesses authority in and of itself without relying on external validation or external endorsement, whether it's social endorsement or cultural endorsement or whatever. It implies an inherent intrinsic self-contained power to guide, direct, or dictate moral and ethical principles, which brings us to the point of my main contention, scripture or the Bible. Now, social constructivists like Dan in this video might argue that the Bible's authority uh, is only authoritative because people have assigned it authority. And so as he did, they contend it's this product of human culture and history. And I don't deny that uh, the Bible has um, is in a way a product of human culture and history. It was. It was written by humans in space and time. Um, but he would also suggest that its meaning is entirely shaped by human interpretation. I would disagree with that. Because I don't think that claim is airtight. I don't think so, in fact, at all. And I want to dissect that a little bit further. And I want to consider first the idea that the Bible's authority is solely the result of human assignment. I think that such a perspective ignores the belief held by many that the Bible's authority is not merely a product of human construction, right? Instead, they argue that the Bible's authority is inherent, uh, transcending human agency. So there's not only a, a philosophical underpinning here, but I think, too, a sort of tacit appeal 
to a novelty f- fallacy that's going on. And this is the idea or proposal that like newer is better. And that appears, I think, to be at work behind some of this theory that Dan's promoting. Social constructivism is, historically speaking, again, a very new theory being used by Dan and others to attempt to call into question or debunk long-standing views, long-standing beliefs, long-standing theories. But of course, Dan doesn't tell you that. He doesn't put his cards on the table. And so we don't know if he, he even knows if he subscribed to this philosophy. We don't know if he's ignorant of it. We don't know if he's being deceitful or slick or what. And so it would seem that like the most generous view when watching something like that would be to assume that he's not lying. He's not being slick. That he's not hiding something. That, um, and that, that he just doesn't even know uh, what it is behind his own views. Um, that he does know, he's just not telling us. Uh, or maybe the most generous is that he doesn't know, and that's why he's not telling us. So he doesn't tell us. And so um, we don't know. Maybe he does know. Uh, enough about that for now. I want to talk um, about this guy named Karl Barth for a minute. Karl Barth. He's this, uh, a prominent theologian, and he played a, a really, really significant role in shaping the perspective that Scripture in and of itself is inherently and intrinsically authoritative. And he argued that the Bible's authority is not contingent on human interpretation or cultural influences, but it's a direct result of divine intervention. And so Bart famously stated, he said this, quote, the Bible is authoritative to the extent that it is a witness to Christ, end quote. The Bible's authoritative to the extent that it's a witness to Christ. And so what this this statement does is it emphasizes the Bible's role as a medium through which God reveals himself, and it challenges the constructivist idea that all knowledge and beliefs are socially mediated. And what we've seen in the wake of such a comment as as Bart's is the rise of biblical theology um, as a, a specific field within biblical studies and theological studies. And the realization that in numerous ways, the entire storyline, the meta-narrative of Scripture points to the Messiah, to Christ. And Bart, his, his remarks are sort of setting the stage for all of this. And another key point to consider is, I think, the Bible's uh, enduring influence across centuries and diverse cultures, not just a culture, right? Social constructivism, it's often emphasizing the, the contingency of beliefs and knowledge on temporal factors and and specific cultural factors. However, the belief in the Bible's inherent or intrinsic authority challenges this by proposing that its authority actually remains constant and consistent across all cultures. That is, it transcends changing social and cultural conditions. That's what I believe. The Bible's authority is not solely rooted in human agreement, as Dan was trying to, to sell there. In fact, contrary to what Dan said, I would say this again. The Bible is authoritative, and it is inherently and intrinsically authoritative. I don't give it any of its authority. I might go, how come don't? Nor do you, nor does anyone else. It is inherently and intrinsically, transcendently authoritative. Many individuals, right, they'll they'll claim to have personal experiences of encountering God or experiencing uh, like spiritual transformation through their engagement with the Bible. And so these deeply personal 
and transcendent experiences also challenge the constructivist view that all beliefs and experiences are socially constructed and highlight the existence of aspects of reality that transcend social uh, context. We're not going to actually stop at the Bible, though, because I think there are uh, numerous other instances where authority is believed to originate from sources beyond human consensus. Uh, Dan's example of, of gold, right, or printed money, something we assign value to, that's just a, a, a misdirection. It's logically fallacious. Um, and the, the truth is, is that just as the Bible is regarded as inherently and intrinsically authoritative by many, these uh, concepts and principles that I'm about to talk about are also seen as having inherent transcendence, uh, intrinsic, universal character that goes beyond mere social constructivism. For example, science, uh, uh, some science and laws of nature, right? For example, not all science, not all scientific theories, but laws of physics like gravity, thermodynamics, those are seen as inherent features of the universe intrinsic to the universe itself. They're not mere human constructions. Gravity is, is not an authoritative scientific reality because I assign it authority and value. No, it simply is. Gravity simply is. It doesn't need me to affirm it. It will exist whether I affirm it or not. It simply is. It intrinsically and inherently is. I think too about like human rights and human dignity. Right, human rights are based on the idea that every individual possesses inherent, intrinsic dignity and certain fundamental rights. People don't have value because I assign them value. They have value because they're made in God's image and God assigned them that value and dignity when, when he made them in his image. Now, I may choose to ignore that or not recognize it, but even if that's the case, they still have it. It's inherent. It's intrinsic. Uh, I think, too, about moral principles, principles like the prohibition against murder. It's often considered inherently authoritative across all cultures. It's an objective thing. See it across all time, across cultures, right? Mathematics is another um Another example here, mathematical concepts are regarded as universally valid. They're not subject to human assignment or cultural assignment. They are objective facts. Two plus two equals four. Whether I say it does or not, that's intrinsic, right? Um, think about natural rights, such as the right to life and liberty. And they're believed to exist independently of any particular society's laws or customs. Life is inherently valuable whether I, Michael Halcom, believe it is or not. Whether I, Michael Halcom, say it is or not. Whether I, Michael Halcom, live as though that's true or not. It just is. It's inherently, intrinsically uh, the case. And so these examples, I think five there, demonstrate that authority isn't exclusively assigned by humans in every case. Just as the Bible is regarded as inherently authoritative by many, these concepts and principles, the ones that I just mentioned, are seen as, as having inherent, transcendent, universal character that goes beyond mere social construction. Right. So while social constructivism offers valuable insights into how human societies might shape beliefs and, and, and might think about authority, it's essential to recognize that there are instances, real instances, where authority 
is believed to originate from sources beyond human consensus. Whether it's the Bible, the laws of nature, human rights, moral principles, mathematics, natural rights, these examples underscore the complexity of authority and the sort of interplay between inherent intrinsic value and some socially constructed aspects of our world. I'm not denying that there are socially constructed aspects of our world, but I am saying that there's also such thing as inherent and intrinsic value in some things apart from social constructions. I'm not a social constructivist. So let, let's shift for a minute back to uh, Karl Barth. Um, Barth's theology is built upon the belief that the Bible's authority is not primarily a result of human construction or consensus. Instead, Barth argued that the Bible's authority is grounded in a higher divine source. Um, Barth emphasized that the Bible is rooted in divine revelation. He believed that the Bible is not a human response to divine revelation, but it is in itself a form of divine revelation. And so Barth's perspective, right, it challenges the constructivist notion that human religious texts are solely products of cultural evolution. Bart asserted that the Bible's authority is not shaped by human interpretation or cultural influences, but it's a direct result of divine intervention. And I agree with him. Bart said, uh, here's another quote from him. The Bible is not man's word about God, but God's word about man. Well, that's good. Listen again. The Bible is not man's word about God, but God's word about man. And so to illustrate this point, we consider an example, right? In the Bible, we find accounts of direct divine inter, uh, interactions, like the story of Moses receiving the, the commandments on Sinai, right? This event, which you can read about in Exodus 20, is evidence of divine revelation. Now, Bible, some Bible scholars, liberal Bible scholars might try to argue that, argue otherwise, but that's my perspective. And I think that's the scripture's perspective. Another thing Bart uh, famously said is the Bible is authoritative to the extent that it's a witness to Christ, right? Um, and we, we've kind of touched on this, right? This statement underscores his belief that the Bible's primary purpose is to point to the revelation of Jesus Christ. According to Bart, the, uh, the Bible becomes authoritative when it serves as a means for individuals to encounter God personally through Christ. Uh, he also said the word of God is not an element in human religion. It is religion itself. Ooh, that's good. Um, you, you consider the gospel of uh, John in the New Testament. In this gospel, the words and deeds of Jesus are presented as authoritative. And John tells us that several times at the end. And they're presented as central to the Christian faith. And I think that aligns with uh, Bart's emphasis on Christ as the ultimate fullness of revelation. Another, I think, important aspect of Bart's view is the belief that uh, the Bible's authority transcends time and transcends culture. He argued that uh, the Bible retains its authoritative character in every context, in every culture, because it testifies to the eternal and unchanging nature of God. So it stays consistent across cultures, across time. And this challenges the constructivist idea that beliefs and norms are malleable and subject to social negotiation. Uh, Bart also said, the Bible is not a timeless theological textbook, but the living word of God. 
And, um, you know, one one thing that that makes me think about is the influence of the Bible on various cultures and and historical periods. Its teachings and its moral principles have resonated across so many diverse cultures, so many diverse societies. And I think this reinforces uh, Bart's argument that the Bible, uh, the Bible's authority is not limited by temporal or cultural factors. And as I uh, noted earlier, right, a lot of individuals claim to have personal experiences or encounters with God. They undergo spiritual transformations through engagement with the Bible. And these experiences are considered deeply personal and transcendent. And so they're not dependent or solely dependent on social context or social consensus, as Dan was saying. Uh, Bart's theology emphasizes that uh, the personal encounter with God through Scripture is important and it aligns with uh, personal testimonies. Bart also said it's true that God may be experienced and known in other in another way besides Holy Scripture. But this other way is not the way of revelation. And, um, you know, one way we might illustrate this is just think of individuals who've had, like, life-changing spiritual experiences um, uh, just through, like, a divine encounter, through a holy moment. Um, and these are... Um, these encounters, these moments are direct sort of uh, confirmations. And uh, I think this aligns with, with Bart's theology as well. Um, the Bible has often been invoked to justify or resist social change and uh, justify or resist cultural shifts. And some argue that this resistance is rooted in the belief that the Bible's authority is inherent and unchanging. And I would I would second that, right? Barth's perspective adds complexity to these discussions because it underscores the deeply theological aspect of the Bible's authority and its ultimate uh, focus on the revelation of Jesus Christ. Another thing that Barth said, this is the last thing I'll say of his, I think. He said, take your Bible and take your newspaper and uh, read both, but interpret your newspapers from your Bible, right? And um, that gets taken out of context a lot when people read that. But, you, you know, you just consider historical movements where the Bible was invoked to support or resist social change, right? Such as the abolitionist movement in the United States or, or um, current debates over same-sex issues. Uh, Bart's theology has often played a role in these discussions, and rightly so. I think Bart's the theological perspective on the Bible's authority challenges social constructivism by asserting, as I've tried to make clear, certain aspects of authority and knowledge, or how certain aspects of authority and knowledge can originate from sources beyond human society and beyond human consistence, uh, consensus. Um, Barnes' views emphasize divine revelation, the witness to Christ, the transcendent nature of the Bible, personal encounters with God, and uh, issues uh, on social change. But, you know, I think, um, I think there are, are numerous other instances where authority is, is believed to originate from sources beyond human consistence. Again, things we've talked about like math, human rights, natural rights, and so on. And so just as the Bible is regarded as inherently authoritative by many, 
these concepts and principles are are also seen as having inherent transcendence, um, universal character that again goes beyond mere social construction. Um, they they remind us that authority isn't always um, or exclusively assigned by humans in every case. And the same goes for the Bible. And here's something else I'd like to say. When we're reading or watching or listening to someone, it's really important to know the underlying philosophical tenets that they subscribe to. You know, I, I'm an Orthodox Christian. I have a high view of Scripture. I have a high Christology. I'm a proponent of historic, Orthodox, apostolic, global Christianity. And I put my cards on the table so you know where I stand. And if others don't do that, then you need to dig and find out where they've made their subscriptions to, what they've subscribed to. Now, you might be wondering, maybe not, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway, what might an alternative to social constructivism be? Like, what might we call that? And I want to talk a, a bit about that for a moment. Um, in particular, I want to talk about what's known as divine command theory. Now, divine command theory has its roots in ancient religious and philosophical traditions with, you know, it's got, had a profound significance in Judaism, one of the Abrahamic religions, as well as Christianity. But one of the concepts or the key concepts of divine command theory is theological voluntarism. Now, the, this concept, theological voluntarism within divine command theory, asserts that God's will is the ultimate source of moral authority. I can subscribe to that. This means that what is morally right and morally wrong is determined solely by God's commands. Again, I can, I can roll with that. In Judaism, right, divine commands are foundational to moral and ethical guidance. The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, contains numerous instances of divine commands playing a central role in shaping Jewish moral and ethical principles. Uh, again, one of the most iconic examples of this is the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. And these divine commands are given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and they provide a moral and ethical framework for Jewish life. Uh, and throughout the Hebrew scriptures, various prophets, they convey God's commands to the people as a means of guiding them and uh, guiding them toward righteous and just and moral and ethical behavior. This is a concept of uh, mitzvot, which uh, refers to divine commandments or divine obligations. That's central to Jewish religious practice. These commandments encompass like a wide range of ethical and ritual duties, and they're considered the direct will of God. Um, in ancient uh, Greek philosophy, you have what's known as the Euthyphro Dilemma. The Euthyphro Dilemma, uh, it was articulated by Plato and later discussed in the context of the divine command theory. But um, this Euthyphro Dilemma uh, questions or asks whether actions are good because God commands them, making uh, morality um, uh, arbitrary, I guess, or if God commands them because they're inherently good raising the possibility then of a standard of, of goodness independent of God. Actually, that would be the arbitrary one, but um, God command, they're good because God commands them. Uh, that's less arbitrary. And so uh, there were other, I mean, that's an interesting kind of thing to think about, right? Are, are commands good because 
uh, are actions and commands good because God commands them, or are they good because, or, or is it the case that God commands them because they're inherently good? So that's interesting to think about the youth of Frodo. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if you want to Google that and read it, read some of the philosophical background on that, you might find it interesting. But there were other, uh, outside of Judaism, there have been influential theologians in Christianity, like during the Middle Ages, who contributed significantly to the development of divine command theory. Um, Augustine, who lived in the 300s and 400s CE, um, he emphasized that moral values are grounded in God's eternal law, and human beings must align their wills with God's will for moral goodness, uh, you know, to, to, to take part in moral goodness or for moral goodness to, to happen in their lives. Augustine, he once wrote that the Holy Scriptures are letters from home. It's a really interesting description. And this sentiment, I, I, the sentiment of that, I believe, really captures the essence of Scripture's intrinsic inherent authority. And it's seen as a, a direct line of communication with the divine, a source of moral guidance rooted in faith. St. Thomas Aquinas lived in the 1200s. Um, he, he sort of integrated Aristotelian philosophy in, in, into Christian theology, but he argued that God's commands are rooted in his rational nature, and they're aimed at promoting human flourishing. Um, think about another guy like uh, John Duns Scotus. He was another medieval thinker. He, he, I think, supported divine command theory, and he asserted that moral obligations are derived from God's will. They're not contingent. On external factors, uh, you also have modern proponents of this, um, like Robert M. Adams. He de he defends a diversion of or he defends a version of the divine command theory where he asserts that moral obligations are based on God's commands and God's moral perfection, not external resources or sources. Another guy, Philip Quinn, um, he he uh, contributes to this discussion on divine command ethics. And uh, Linda Zagzebski explores divine, divine command theory from a virtue ethics perspective. And she, she emphasizes the connection between divine commands and God's character. Uh, C. Stephen Evans, he talks about and engages with divine command theory in the context of the moral argument for the existence of God. John Hare, H-A-R-E, def defends divine command theory, and he argues that moral norms are rooted in divine theory, not social agreement. David Baggett, Jerry Walls, uh, they discuss moral apologetics and moral arguments for the existence of God, touching upon the relationship between God's commands and moral realism. And so the historical roots of divine command theory in ancient Jewish traditions, coupled with contributions of early Christian theologians, as well as contemporary philosophers, as well as Christian philosophers, this highlights the enduring significance of divine commands in shaping ethical and moral thought uh, across different uh, periods in different contexts. And so uh, this is one response, a strong response, I think, to social constructivism. All right, well, that's a lot. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me on this, probably an extended episode of, of Fallacy of the Week on Proof Text. Um, uh, if you found this exploration of Bart's views, uh, the Bible's inherent and intrinsic authority, the complex interplay between inherent and socially constructed authority, 
um, the thoughts on Divine Command Theory. If you found any of this to be thought-provoking, uh, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast, uh, to the channel, uh, for more engaging discussions on critical ideas and fallacies uh, like this. Um, subscribe, share it, so on and so forth. But until next time, um, I'm Michael Halcom, and I hope that helps. Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glossa House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glossa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glossahouse.com today. Glossa House, language resources for the global community.